Please open your Bibles with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I'll pick up reading there in verse 9 and read through to verse 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning in verse 9. The apostle writes, indeed, God's word declares, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. Verse 11. And such were some of you, but ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Now please notice that the kingdom of God is inherited. My friend, heaven is not earned. Rather, it's inherited. You see, an inheritance is not given to you because of something you've done. Rather, an inheritance is given to you because, as a co-heir with the family, you're included in the will. Turn with me to Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4, verse 13. For the promise that Abraham should be heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For they which are of the law be heirs, faith is made void, and the promise made of none effect. Because the law worketh wrath, For where no law is, there is no transgression. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be by grace. To the end, the promise might be sure to all the seed, not to that only which is of the law, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations. Before him whom he believed, even God, who quickeneth the dead, and calleth those things which be not as though they were. All right, turn back to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Just turn back to our text. We see there in verse 9, Paul begins by telling us who will not inherit the kingdom of God. He lists the very people who will not be in heaven and they're described as the unrighteous. And my unbelieving friend, outside of Christ, that's all you'll ever be, unrighteous. God's word tells us in verse 9 that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. That is, no unrighteous person will be in heaven. You see, when God saves somebody, they are made the very righteousness of God in Christ. Turn with me to Psalm 71. Psalm 
Psalm 71. And look there, beginning with me in verse 16. The psalmist writes, I will go in the strength of the Lord God. I will make mention of thy righteousness, even of thine only. So why does David only want to make mention of God's righteousness? Very simply this, because God's righteousness is the only righteousness that God will accept. You see, when God saves a man, when God saves a woman, when God does a work of grace in the heart of a sinner, here's what he does. God takes his righteousness, the sinless obedience of his beloved son, the righteousness of God, the perfect righteousness of the God-man mediator, the Lord Jesus Christ, and he imputes it to the believer. Beloved, when Christ kept the law, when he perfectly obeyed the law of God in our place, our Lord was establishing our righteousness on the earth as a man, as our substitutionary righteousness. You see, the righteousness of Christ is perfect righteousness, without spot or wrinkle. And it's only the righteousness accepted of our Heavenly Father. That's why our Lord declares, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Turn to Romans chapter 4 and look there in verse 6. Romans 4 verse 6. David also describeth the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputeth righteousness without work, saying, Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. My friend, I don't want God to charge me with my sin. Do you? I don't want to stand before God and have him charge me for the crimes of my sin and find myself justly condemned. Rather, I want to stand before God in the perfect righteousness of his beloved Son. I want to be found in that perfect righteousness my Lord Jesus established as a representative man and be found in his perfect record. I don't want to be found in my sinful record. How about you? You see, I want to be found in the perfect righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ, in the righteousness that's imputed to his people in salvation so that it may be said of me that I have been made the righteousness of God in him. You see, my friend, that's the heart cry of every believing sinner. Our brother Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 3, I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, waste to be flushed down the toilet, that I may win Christ and be found in him. Not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, Paul did not want to be found in his imperfect keeping of the law, but rather Paul wanted to be found in that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. Beloved, that's where I want to be found. I want to be found in Christ Jesus my Lord and be found spotless in his sinless record. I don't want to be found in my sullied record. I want to be found in his sinless record. 
that's for sure. Oh, that God would be pleased to grant that I may be found in him and not found in my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faithfulness of Christ. You see, beloved, God imputes his righteousness to us, but that's not all. You see, whenever he imputes his righteousness, he also imparts his righteousness as well. And that's what happens when you're born of God's spirit. That is, by the new birth, you're given a new nature, a divine nature, a righteous nature that does not sin, which is Christ in you, the sure hope of heaven. God's word declares in 1 John chapter 5, verse 18. We know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not, but he that is begotten of God keepeth himself, and that wicked one toucheth him not. Now this is speaking about the new man, Christ formed in you. You see, beloved, whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed, the seed of God, remaineth in him, and he cannot sin. You see, the new man lacks the ability to sin, because he is born of God. Now can God sin? Can Christ in you sin? Of course not. Is there even a possibility for God to sin? Well, I trust you know better. And so the new man, Christ Jesus in you and in me, formed in every believer, that new man of God cannot sin. So, beloved, do you ever see this holy, sanctified perfection in yourself? I mean, have you ever done anything, thought anything that wasn't mixed up with sin? Have you ever done anything that was perfect? No, of course not. I haven't and you haven't. Beloved, we'll never know we have this holy nature by looking to ourselves. Rather, we only are made to know that we are holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight by the word of God and believing the record that God gave of his son. Now, do I see that? Not at all. However, I do see evidences of it. What are those evidences? I love the Lord Jesus Christ. I love his people. I love his sayings. I see what he says about me is true, that I am an evil sinner. Our Lord declares, If ye then, being evil, in of myself, that's all I'll ever be outside of Christ. If then you, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? And so do I see these token emblems that I have this new nature? I see that I believe the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe him. But do I see a nature that doesn't sin? Not in the least. Indeed, every time I breathe, I sin. Every time I have a thought, I sin. In fact, I'm never without sin because I'm still in this body of flesh. I know that in me, that is my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. My old man nature is always with me. But I also have a new nature by God's Spirit, a holy nature, and that's the righteousness of God that every believer has, beloved. Turn with me to John chapter 2, 1 John chapter 2, and look there with me in verse 1. The Apostle John writes, beginning in verse 1, My little children, these things I write unto you, that ye sin not. 
Beloved, don't live in sin. Don't indulge yourself in a vicious course of living. Don't give yourself up to it. And if anyone sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Every believer hates sin. Every believer reads this injunction of the Apostle John. My little children, these things write I unto you, that ye sin not. And that's our ardent, heartfelt desire, that we sin not. Lord, deliver us from our sin. Now, while the Lord has indeed delivered us from the condemning power of sin, I still find in my members that there is a daily battle with the sin that's in this flesh. And though it no longer defines the tenor and practice of my life, and though I have stopped doing some things that I know full well are not pleasing before the Lord, but still, which of us can understand our errors? And so we cry out with the psalmist, O Lord, cleanse me from secret faults. But how? Again, listen to the apostle's injunction in 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. Beloved, these things write I unto you, that ye sin not. And if any man sin, beloved, when you sin, when I sin, and I don't want to, and I know you don't want to, but when you sin, know this, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. What grace, what mercy, what pardon do we have through the righteousness of Christ? Now, someone who does not have the righteousness of Christ, simply put, is unrighteous. And if God doesn't do something for that person, they will die in their sins, not having God's righteousness imputed to them. And further, they do not have God's righteousness imparted to them in the new birth. And so they shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Our Lord said to Nicodemus, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God, much less enter it. Let's go back to our text now. First Corinthians chapter 6. And look there with me, beginning in verse 9 again. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Someone that does not have the perfect obedience of Jesus Christ charged to their account is unrighteous, and they shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Beloved, believing sinner, we have the righteousness of God charged to our account. Indeed, that's the sure grounds of our salvation, the perfect, righteous obedience of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, beloved, what's the evidence that you've been made the righteousness of God in Christ? What's the evidence that I've been made the righteousness of God in Christ? The evidence is this. He's given me a new nature that believes, trusts, and loves him. You see, that's the new nature of the believer. And Paul tells us those that do not have this new nature, the unrighteous, they're called, well, they shall not inherit the kingdom of God. And then the apostle goes on to name these particular sins, how that they that do such things, they that practice such things, they shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Again, notice the warning of God's word set forth before us in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived. Be not deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, 
nor abusers of themselves with mankind. Verse 10. Nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. My friend, don't be deceived. Now, if I practice these things that the apostle is talking about here, if I practice these things listed here, if this describes the tenor and ongoing direction of my life, I will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, very simply this. If I practice these things, I will not inherit the kingdom of God. The apostle John wrote, My little children, these things write I unto you, that ye sin not. Now, while it is true that a believer, a true believer, can commit any one of these sins, and we have many examples in the scriptures of that very thing, how that believers have committed all these sins that are mentioned here in this portion of Scripture. However, a child of God, sooner or later, will leave these things and stop them. And beloved, I pray by God's grace that we shall not start upon them again. The Apostle John wrote, My little children, these things write I unto you, that ye sin not. And if any man sin, if any woman sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Now let me try to give you a few examples of what it means to practice or live in sin. The apostle says in verse 9, fornicators shall not inherit the kingdom of God. So the sin of fornication, adultery, are you capable of that? Am I capable of that? Well, sure we are. Apart from the grace of God, we'd fall into that sin, and so we ask for grace not to. But let's suppose somebody claims that the Lord has done something for them, and yet they're living in a fornicating or adulterous relationship. And, you know, they say, whether with their words or actions, I'm not going to leave that relationship because I believe in salvation by grace. And so I'm not going to stop living together with that man or that woman. I'm going to continue on in it. Has God done anything for that person? Paul continues, Thieves shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Let's say some guy is a thief. That's a pretty extreme example. But let's suppose someone says he's a bank robber. And he says, the Lord saved him. And after that, he says, robbing banks is all I know. This is how I make a living. And then he goes on to say, salvation is by grace. I'm just going to keep on robbing banks. Come on, man. I don't know anything else. And so he continues a life of theft, robbing banks. Has God done anything for that person? Beloved, I trust you know better. You see, that's what Paul is talking about here, the practice of sin. A believer knows that all he has to do is breathe and he's sinning. And you know that, beloved. You and I can fall into any one of these sins, but if you give yourself to the practice of them, Scripture says you shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, the apostle goes on to name ten sins here that the unrighteous continue in and refuse to leave. And so, consequently, they shall not inherit the kingdom of heaven. Beloved, be not deceived. Fornicators shall not inherit the kingdom of God. If you're unmarried and you're having an intimate relationship with somebody, that is, you are sexually active and unmarried and you refuse to leave that and you continue in that, 
and you say you're saved by grace, God's word says that you shall not inherit the kingdom of God, that you shall not be saved. My friend, that's what God's word warns. Do you despise the riches of God's goodness? Do you despise his long-suffering patience towards you? Do you not know, beloved, it's the goodness of God that leads you to repentance, not his wrath. Be not deceived. Paul continues, idolaters shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, what's an idolater? An idolater is someone who practices a false religion, someone who worships a false god. Now, suppose somebody says, God's save me, but they say, I'm going to continue going to a church where the gospel of God's sovereign grace is not preached and idolatry is practiced. Suppose someone continues going to a Roman Catholic church and they keep going there and continue to support that which is against Christ. My friend, if you keep going to an antichrist church or religion, has God really done something for you? Obviously not. Someone who practices idolatry will not inherit the kingdom of God. And then the apostle speaks of adultery, a very common sin in our society. Paul writes in Hebrews, Marriage is honorable in all, and the bed undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. Beloved, if I refuse to break off an adulterous relationship with another woman, I will not be saved. Be not deceived. The effeminate shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, when the apostle speaks of the effeminate, a word where we get the word soft from, Paul's not referring to a man who acts like a woman. He's not talking about a sissy. Rather, he's talking about someone who softens the gospel, someone who compromises the gospel and makes it soft. That is, he makes it more palatable to the flesh. The effeminate man makes it to where people won't be offended by it. Larry King asked Joel Olstein, what if you're Jewish or Muslim and you don't accept Christ at all? And he said, you know, I'm very careful about saying who would and wouldn't go to heaven. I don't know. Doesn't sound like the Apostle Paul to me. And then Larry King asked further, if you believe you have to believe in Christ, they're wrong, aren't they? And Joel went on to say, I don't know over 40 times in that interview. You see, the effeminate man leaves things out and takes the edge off the gospel. The effeminate man makes it so that no one will be offended by the gospel of Christ. You see, he softens it by leaving out truths that are central to the gospel. Oh, to think that someone could leave off talking about sin or sinners. How could you preach the gospel and not talk about sin and sinners and not repeat all those blessed gospel verses? <laughs> Beloved, you know them. Call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Or a faithful saying worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Now that man or woman who continues to soften the gospel will not inherit the kingdom of God. Then the apostle speaks of that person who is an abuser of themselves with mankind. Well, that's talking about homosexuality. 
the practice of homosexuality, if that's what you practice and you will not leave it, you will not inherit the kingdom of God and will not be saved. You see, that's just like the fornicator who won't leave their fornicating relationship or the adulterer who won't leave their adulterous relationship. In verse 10, we read, Thieves shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, thieves are people who steal. But it's not just shoplifting and robbing banks. It's also not paying your bills, loafing on the job, pirating computer software or music, or the worst kind of theft, attempting to steal glory from God. Any thief who refuses to leave that, he shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, that's what the Word of God says. Further in verse 10, Paul speaks of the covetous. What is a covetous man? Well, a covetous man has no understanding of being content with Christ. He's always wanting more and doesn't know what it is to just rest in Christ and be satisfied. The covetous man can't say with the psalmist, and what a comforting verse it is, (laughs) the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. My friend, the only way you cannot covet is if you don't want anything else. And so if you've never trusted Christ, you're always going to be coveting after something. And so the apostle tells us that the covetous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Next, Paul tells us that no drunkard is going to inherit the kingdom of God. That is the abuse of alcohol or the abuse of drugs. Somebody who will not quit abusing drugs or alcohol and continues that abuse, they shall not inherit the kingdom of God. And then the apostle further speaks in verse 10 of revilers. What is a reviler? A reviler is someone who uses abusive speech that springs forth from an abusive heart. It's someone who's practicing continual verbal abuse. You've never really experienced grace if that's the habitual tenor of your words, and you shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Beloved, the word of God says, let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt. Paul is saying, don't be deceived. Don't fool yourself. Don't say, well, salvation is by grace. I'll make it into heaven. It doesn't really matter how I live. My friend, if what is described here in God's word is the practice of my life, I shall not inherit the kingdom of God. You see, salvation by grace is not a license to sin. Rather, it's salvation from sin. Turn with me to Galatians chapter 5, beginning in verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revilings, and such like, of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Now look in Ephesians chapter 5. Verse 5, the Apostle Paul writes, indeed God's word declares, For this ye know, that no whoremonger, 
nor unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater, hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no man deceive you with vain words. For because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Be not ye therefore partakers with them. Beloved, God's word sets forth, they that do such things, they that practice such things, that is, those whose lives are described here by the direction they are going, they shall not inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. Now, when those sins are mentioned, if you have been made to see what you are in the light of Christ, you'll know every one of those things has been in your heart. He says, Beloved, such were some of you. Now, here's the good news of the gospel. God saves fornicators. God saves idolaters. God saves adulterers. God saves gospel compromisers. God saves homosexuals. God saves thieves. And God saves covetous people. And God saves drunkards. God saves revilers. God saves extortioners. And such were some of you. Now this declaration in the first part of verse 11, and such were some of you, illustrates a number of things. First, it illustrates the power of the gospel that he should save such wretched sinners as you and me. Further, it magnifies the mercy of God in saving such wretched sinners as we are. And finally, it puts our so-called self-righteousness in the dust. My friend, you and I don't have any room for self-righteousness because, beloved, we know we don't have any. By God's grace, he's put us into the light and the countenance of his beloved son to show us we have absolutely nothing to commend ourselves to God but Christ alone. You see, by grace are we saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Look again there in verse 11, 1 Corinthians 6, verse 11. And such were some of you. Those six words ought to encourage us to preach the gospel to every creature. Why is that? Because God saves sinners. He saves such wretched sinners as you and as me. And oh, how that ought to encourage every one of us to come to Christ now, today. Today is the day of salvation. Beloved, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Sinner, that ought to give you great hope to think I can come into his presence and he will have mercy on me and he'll embrace me and receive me. And such were some of you. My friend, our Lord has taught us, he who has been forgiven much, loveth much. Beloved, believing sinner of God, you and I have been forgiven, have we not? Then we have every reason to love him much, don't we? 
Look again in verse 11. And such were some of you, but God. There's such a wonderful definition of grace right there in verse 11. That word, but. But God. And it's throughout God's word. But God. This is what you were, but you couldn't stop yourself. You were going in this direction, but God did something for you. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace are ye saved. But God. That's the definition of grace. Look there again in verse 11. Paul mentions three things, and all of them are written in the past tense. Beloved, and such were some of you, but ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Beloved, ye are washed, pardoned through the blood of the Lamb of God. The blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. Beloved, ye are sanctified, made holy by the righteousness of Christ. In him, beloved, ye are holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. Beloved, ye are justified, declared not guilty by the doing and dying of Christ. Much more than being now justified by his blood, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Now, if God has done something for you and in you, there will be things that are seen that give evidence of that. Beloved, the cause of our faith is the Lord Jesus Christ, but the faith of the believer is the gift of God. My friend, if you have received his gift, if God has sanctified you, if God has justified you, do you know what you're going to do? You're going to believe. You're going to believe him the Lord Jesus Christ. Your life direction is going to change. You're going to repent. You're going to love the Lord Jesus Christ. You're going to walk with him. There's going to be evidence that he has done something for you and in you. Now look at verse 11 once again. Look what it says next. Now such were some of you, but now you're sanctified. To be sanctified is to be declared by God to be holy, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. Beloved, you are justified by the name of Jesus Christ. Now, not only am I sanctified, not only am I declared to be by God to be holy, not only am I holy in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, but further by the Spirit of our God, I'm justified. Do you know what that means? That means that right now, as I stand behind this pulpit before God, I'm not guilty. I don't have any sin to give account for. And it takes the grace of God to believe that. Does it not? I'm justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We read in Habakkuk, the just shall live by his faith. And we know that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. 
for by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. I am justified, acquitted of all my guilt in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if God says I'm justified, I'm justified. If God says I'm sanctified, I'm sanctified. What a miracle it is to believe that. Indeed, it takes the grace of God to truly know and actually believe I am complete in Christ without sin before God. My friend, that takes the grace of God to believe that. And you know that? Every one of God's people, every one of his beloved people believe that. Beloved, ye are complete in him. You have a full, complete pardon of all your sins by the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you are reconciled to God through his perfect righteousness. Redemption and righteousness, full and complete. And so, beloved, I'm without sin before God because he justified me. My sin became his. He died on Calvary's bloody tree. He suffered the wrath of God as my sin bear. And his perfect obedience is imputed to me. And I'm justified. Justified by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Turn with me to Titus chapter 3. Verse 5. Beloved, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. Now that expression, washing of regeneration, is interesting. It reminds me of what our Lord taught us, how that except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. You see, when the gospel is preached, there is a washing that happens by the Spirit of God. That's why our portion not only says that we have been sanctified and justified, but it also says that we have been washed. Washed not by the mere word of the gospel, but by the power of the gospel. Now there's a, another verse where this particular word is used in the New Testament, and it's found in Acts chapter 22. Turn there with me. Acts chapter 22. We'll pick up reading there in verse 16. Now, why tarriest thou? What are you waiting for? Why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. My friend, if God has sanctified you, if God has justified you, if God has done a work in your heart, there will be evidence. You're going to believe the gospel. You're going to continually come to the Lord Jesus Christ. You're going to be in a state of repentance. You're going to continually see your need of Christ. Now you'll have your high points and your low points. You'll go up and you'll go down. There's no doubt about that. But to you who believe on him, he is precious. He is precious. And you wouldn't dare come into his presence apart from him. That's your experience. If God has ever done something for you, if the Lord Jesus Christ has done anything for me, there will be evidence. I'll confess Christ 
in believer's baptism. Indeed, I have confessed Christ in believer's baptism. Believing sinner of God, have you confessed Christ in believer's baptism? All of God's people can say with the apostle, you show me your faith without works and I'll show you my faith by my works. If you've been justified, if you've been sanctified, you'll arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. When we have been made to know that Christ is all our sanctification and all our justification, we will confess that indeed he has washed away all our sins. And we will continue to wash by looking once again to that sin-cleansing fount of the precious blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. And you'll do that not to be saved, but because you already are. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Verse 11. Such a blessed portion of God's word. May the Lord be pleased to bless the preaching of his word to the hearts of his people, both to comfort them and to save them. Verse 11. Beloved, and such were some of you, but ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Amen.